Now, let's move on because Russia claims the transfer of F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine would raise questions about NATO's role in the conflict. President Biden on Friday said Washington would support delivery of the advanced fighter jets to Kyiv by allowing Western allies to supply them. Russia's ambassador to the UK, Anatoly Anatov, says there is no infrastructure for the operation of the F-16 in Ukraine. And the needed number of pilots and maintenance personnel is not there either. He goes on to say any Ukrainian strike on Crimea would be considered a strike on Russia. He says it's important that the US be fully aware of the Russian response. This all comes amid conflicting claims about who controls the eastern city of Bakhmut. Ukraine's deputy defence minister says its troops are still advancing on the flanks of the devastated city and have a small foothold uh, inside Bakhmut itself. But in the video posted on Saturday, Yevgeny Prigozhin, founder of the Moscow-backed mercenary group Wagner, claimed his fighters, who have led the Russian assault on the city, were in full control. While diplomatic correspondent James Landale has sent this report from Kyiv. First of all, you know, there are claim and counterclaim. It's really hard to verify what's actually happening on the ground. We can use satellites, we can use geolocated photographs on social media uh, to try and get a, a better picture. But by and large, what we think is the case is that at the very least, Russian forces control the vast majority of Bakhmut proper. Uh, when you speak to Ukrainian commanders, they say things like, well, we've got a, a small bit, a few buildings, an insignificant patch. Uh, so, you know, that, that's been the case, you know, for, for some weeks now. Uh, there may or may not come a time when that last little patch is, is taken over by Russian forces uh, and we'll have to rely on, on both them and the Ukrainians and what they admit at the end of it. But we should not use, I think, at the moment, words like victory simply because it's taken Russia eight months to get here. Tens of thousands of Russian soldiers have died in the process. Many more have been injured. Even more have been sucked into the conflict. So there are an awful lot of other battles along the front line where Ukraine is holding firm, holding strong, even making gains because of the number of Russian forces that have been sucked into Bakhmut. And at the same time, Ukraine claims, as you said in the introduction, that it's making its own gains in the north and southern outskirts, potentially with a view of encircling Bakhmut. So I think we're not at the end of the story about Bakhmut. Uh, well, uh, today BBC News has launched a new brand called BBC Verify, which brings together forensic journalists and experts from across the organisation. And one story they've been looking at is the extensive defences being built by Russia as it prepares for a Ukrainian counter-attack. Uh, here is our analysis editor, Ros Atkins. Ukraine is expected to launch an offensive soon, and BBC Verify has been looking at how Russia is building up its defences. Here's the front line with Russia-controlled territory marked in red. We've highlighted Bakhmut because this city has hosted some of the fiercest fighting of this war. And we know that around it, both sides have used trenches. This is a Ukrainian soldier. And trenches are part of how Russia is fortifying the front line. It's a process that's been mapped by the open source analyst Brady Afrik. Every one of these black marks is a new Russian fortification. And we can focus on a couple of locations. First of all, Tokmak, a small but strategically important city. Here it is on the south of this satellite image with Ukraine's positions being further north. And 
look what the Russians have done. They put in a first defensive line, a second defensive line, and then a third defensive line around the city itself. Also, in Ukrainian media, there are reports that Russia is removing civilians from Tokmak in order to further fortify it. And we can understand these fortifications if we look at this satellite image. Furthest from the front line, you have artillery positions, then a trench network for soldiers, then what are called dragon's teeth. These are concrete obstacles designed to stop tanks in their tracks. Also aimed at tanks are ditches dug out by vehicles like this. And you can see an anti-tank ditch in this fortification is the very first line of defense. So that's one location. A second that BBC Verify has looked at is on the Crimean Peninsula, which was annexed by Russia in 2014. This image comes from the west coast of Crimea. You can see dragon's teeth again running up the coast of the Black Sea. You can see further north a bunker and also this trench. BBC Verify estimates that runs for 15 miles along the coast. There are also piles of wood to reinforce trenches. This is ongoing work for the Russians. And then this fortification here could be used by a tank or armored vehicle that's facing out to sea, though we should emphasize that it's far from clear if Ukraine has the capacity to attack Crimea from the sea. What is certain, though, is the scale of the fortification the Russians have carried out along the front line. Now it waits to see if Ukraine attacks. Well, that's Ros Atkins there from the BBC's Verify service. Expect to see a lot more verification of uh, uh, pictures of different viewpoints that we get here at the BBC throughout the day today and indeed going into the future. Uh, but now let's cross live to Justin Crump, who is the British Army veteran and the Sibylline CEO, the intelligence consultancy. Good to talk to you as always, Justin. Uh, hope you're well. Let me ask you, first of all, we talk about Bakhmut quite a lot on this programme. Uh, why is it important? I mean, it's a great question. It was really regarded a few months ago as little more than a speed bump for the Russians on their way to Slovyansk and Kramatorsk, the cities further to the west of their real objectives. And it's taken on a significance really just because of the political nature um, of the struggle for the city. It's gone on so long that it, it's assumed uh, a status out of all relative merit compared to its position on the ground, its tactical significance. Um, so it is not a great step forward militarily. Um, but obviously politically and in terms of morale, it's had this symbology for the Russians in particular. Mm, and Bakhmut, as you say, is, is small, but the Russian advance has been steady. We have a map, in fact, I think, Justin, to show uh, their progress since they said that it was their intention to take Bakhmut in August. Talk me through uh, the progress as we watch uh, the map unfold. I mean, the main thing I'll bring in here is the fact that obviously we're pretty zoomed in at this point from the maps we saw earlier in the conflict with you know, big Russian arrows advancing 50, 100 kilometers a day. I mean, this is a this is a small area, but you see Russia's progression from the east, pretty much steadily frontal onto the city, just pushing the Ukrainians back, um, so inch by inch, yard by yard. Um, and they do take a couple of gains north of the city. The the city of um, Solodar, just to the north, uh, was a really good objective for Russia to unlock the attack on Bakhmut itself. But you see how slow and creeping this progression has been for a comparatively small city, certainly compared to, say, Mariupol um, or Slovyansk. It is inching forwards. It's just pushing the Ukrainians back from the front. What you're not seeing is Russia break past the city, isolate it, cut the supply lines to the city. They've never managed to do that. They still actually haven't. Um, and so when they talk about control, I think what this shows is, yes, you might be at the limits of buildings or the edge of a point on the ground politically defined as the city boundary. But if you don't control the area to the west, the roads, the high grounds, and particularly to the flanks, then control could be pretty tenuous for Russia. 
Justin, looking ahead, the spring offensive looks now like it's going to become a summer offensive. And uh, we saw Ros Atkins showing us the static defences. As a former tank commander yourself, how do you stop this type of advance? I think the point of obstacles I bring out, and if you look at all these belts and miles, you know, 1,500 kilometres of obstacles in multiple banks, um, you know, it looks pretty formidable. But you do the calculations and Russia, if they have 150,000 combat troops in the front, can put one every 10 metres. And that's in a line with nothing behind it. And obviously, they're going to have depth, as you've seen from those images. It's about uh, the sort of depth of obstacles they have. They don't have troops to uh, fortify every inch of this. They're not sitting like the First World War arm in arms. So the point of the obstacles is really to slow an assault, is to make it difficult, and then bring down artillery fire, bring down weapons fire on the enemy that's crossing the obstacle. Um, we have a saying in the military that it isn't an obstacle if it's not covered by fire. If you can't fire on it, if you can't bring weapons to bear on it. So that's what makes it dangerous. And actually, of course, if Ukraine um, can do a crossing somewhere and the obstacles start breaking through without the Russians being able to fire at them or see them or sense them, then to be honest, this is just an engineering task. It's a case of blowing up minefields, of pushing dragon's teeth obstacles out of the way, um, filling in trenches. And, and that's pretty easy if no one is firing at you. But if you're being fired at by artillery and you can't bring your forces together and you're being counterattacked, that's what makes it difficult. So this is the challenge for Ukraine. How do they use deception? How do they use stealth? How do they misdirect the Russians? How do they paralyze any Russian mobile reserves, detect Russian artillery early and kill it? And of course, the constant battle between UAVs at the moment for awareness, which gives this new ability to really see over the hill and see what each side is planning that makes this more challenging than maybe it would have been, say, in 1991 uh, in the Gulf, uh, where there were similar levels of obstacles, not quite as complex as this, but some of the same philosophy. Um, and of course, that's an almighty challenge for any commander. So I think the merit of Ukraine taking their time now, Russia's on the defensive. They have time. They can build up okay. better supplies, build up a better picture and proceed. OK, Justin Crump, always a really good to talk to you. Very clear, uh, concise explanation of what's going on. And I appreciate your time. Thank you.